Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Well, if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 12, as, as Pastor Kevin just read, verse 20 through 25, uh, and we'll, we'll get there in just a minute. Coming, coming up as a, as a kid in, in small town Texas, uh, I, I, I never struggled uh, with, with a shortage of confidence. Uh, I remember uh, getting my, my, first, uh, my first trophy, it was a soccer trophy, uh, shout out 87 Mustangs. Uh, and, and I was like, man, this, this shiny thing, it looks nice, right? Uh, I'm, holding the, uh, I'm holding the Angleton Soccer Club 87 Mustangs trophy. Uh, and, and I'm like, man, I, I could use more of these. And, and so uh, from there on, the, the trophy collection grew, uh, whether, whether it was soccer, whether it was baseball, whether it was basketball, whether it was music or academic achievement, uh, I, I wanted to be uh, great. And so everything was a, was a competition. I, I didn't want a piano trophy. I, like, I, wanted, I wanted all the piano trophies. And that meant that I, I had to crush Paige Davenport, okay? Uh, my fiercest competition. Uh, and, and if you ask my, my wife, who, who as a teenager my, my, was my girlfriend at the time, uh, even, even through uh, the teenage years, uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was pretty great. And for those who know me, they, they, they know that a big part of, of my testimony entails some experiences that were, were honestly, I mean, I just, I just needed to be humbled like, I just needed the Lord to humble me, and I needed to learn what it, what it meant to be fully, to be, to be surrendered to a God who was not just my superior, but who's superior over all things. Amen, church family? And so, so this morning, well, this afternoon, uh, we, we look at the peril of pride in Acts 12, and, and uh, we look at the futility of, of self-glory and we look at it juxtaposed with the glory of God. But, but here's, here's where I need you to dial in. Here's, here's what I need you to do, church family. As we talk about pride uh, and, and as we talk about the glory of God, I, I need you to, to fight the urge uh, to be thinking about all the other people that this applies to. You all with me? I, 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 need, I need us to just, just for today, I, I need you to put, pick up the mirror and Christian uh, I, I want you to examine your heart and ask where pride has been tripping you up from experiencing the, the presence and, and, and the, the grace and the glory of God. And if you're, and if you're here, and if you're, maybe you're a seeker, or, or, or maybe, man, maybe you're not seeking after God at, at, at all, listen, I, I just want to ask, I want to ask this, it is, is, I want you to just ask if, if, would you just consider, would you just consider that there might be a, a glory 
apart from yourself. And maybe like if, if, if you were pinned down, you would say, listen, like I'm not, I'm not a prideful person, but here's the question. Uh, I, I would just ask this. Have you, have you set yourself up as, as sort of the final standard, the final standard of judgment? And if there is a God and if he does not, and if he will not reveal himself uh, to the proud, could you have missed him? Could you have missed him? And so this afternoon, we're gonna examine three things that I believe are gonna help bring some perspective uh, to, to dealing with our pride, but also responding to God's glory. Uh, and, and so as we look at verse 20 through 22, the first thing that, that, that we're gonna look at is the unstable pride of man. If you got a bulletin, you can follow along. Uh, we're gonna look at the unstable pride of man. I want you to do this. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, unstable pride. That was pretty solid. I can't, even, I can't even complain about like which service this is. Like I can't compare the eight with the 930 or like none of that, okay? So one more time, look at your other neighbor and say, unstable pride. That was solid. That was solid. It says this. Now Herod was angry. This is Herod Agrippa was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. He took his seat upon the throne, and he delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, "The voice of a god and not of man." I want to talk about the unstable pride of, of man, and, and, and I, need to, I need to set the stage for these verses because we, we need to look at a little bit of background. See, we've already been introduced to Herod Agrippa earlier in Acts 12 as this dude, he had begun to target Christians. He had begun to target Christians uh, to eradicate them, and he realized all the way back in Acts 12, 3, that it, that it pleased the people, specifically it pleased the the, some of the Israelites and the Jewish leaders. And, and so he had the, the brother of, of John, the apostle, he had James executed. And then he went after Peter, but we've already seen where God miraculously rescued Peter from imminent death. And immediately, immediately after Peter's escape, Herod Agrippa, he bounces over to Caesarea. Now, now we, we've already encountered Caesarea. Derek Thomas says this, Caesarea was an insignificant little coastal city until Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa's grandfather, developed a harbor into a harbor that housed 300 ships. So he took this tiny little coastal town. Not only that, but Herod the Great had built this amphitheater that seated 3,500 people. And so at this point in time, Caesarea had become a, a major coastal city. And we've already seen, as we looked at, at, at Acts 12, that it was the, the seat of the Roman government over Israel. R.C. Sproul says this, Tyre and Sidon were, were two principal cities of Phoenicia. They were, they were part, they, they were in, in, in Syria. And the Phoenicians, Sproul says, for years, they, they had dominated the Mediterranean world with all of their sea trade. And, and in their commercial enterprises, listen, the Tyre and Sidon, they had engaged in trade, these business relationships with Israel that went back a thousand years. If you go all the way back to the time of King Solomon, 
Solomon, as he was constructing the temple, was engaged in business with King Hiram of Tyre. And so as we get to verses 20 through 22, and we, we know a little bit of the background, we don't know exactly what, uh, we don't know for certain what had led to Herod's uh, anger and vitriol towards these people of Tyre and Sidon. But what, what we do know is that Tyre and Sidon depended upon Israel for food. Specifically, they depended on the shipment of grain, the export of Israelite grain. But the relationship with Herod had soured. They, uh, they had gotten sideways with Herod. That's the JIV, the Jonathan International Version. And so fortunately, they were able to broker this deal with Blastus with, with, one, of, with one of Herod Agrippa's personal attendants. And what unfolds, this is what's crazy about God's word. God's word is reliable. God's word is authoritative. God's word is true. Amen? I don't know if y'all heard me. God's word is reliable and true and authoritative. Amen? And so is what's, what unfolds in verses 21 and 22 is actually verified in the writings of Josephus, the Jewish historian Josephus in his writings uh, on the antiquities of the Jews. Listen, this dude Josephus was not a Christian, not a believer, and not only did his writings uh, validate what Luke wrote, it actually includes even more detail. Josephus, see, Herod put on a series of shows honoring Caesar in the city's amphitheater. And Josephus tells us that early, early in the morning, with the sun beaming down from the east, Herod Agrippa strolled onto the stage of the amphitheater, and Josephus says he was wearing a royal robe, get this, woven of pure silver, and he rolls onto the stage of the amphitheater and with the, with the sunlight glistening off of his bedazzled attire, he sits on his throne and he addresses the people. And we don't know the content of his speech, but what we do know is that the crowd gathered that day began to just heap these praises on him. And they said, the voice of a God, the voice of a God and not of a man. And that day, Herod gladly, gladly received the praise of man. Man, he, he reveled in his own self-glory. And his, see, as a human sovereign, this, this guy was at the top of the food chain. He was a king. He had his own throne. He was, he was enthralled by his station. He was, he was permeated with pride. C.J. Mahaney says this, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on him. Let me say that one more time. C.J. Mahaney says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and the position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on him. And then Charles Bridges once described pride simply is contending for supremacy with God. Contending for supremacy with God. Church fam, the end of pride is always the self-glorification of man. But the problem with man's self-glorification is it always hits the lid of his own brokenness. Are y'all hearing me this morning, this afternoon? The problem with the self-glorification of man is it always hits the lid of his own brokenness. 
See, Scripture in Ezekiel 14, it, it points to Satan's fall uh, from perfection as an angel all the way back in, in the Garden of Eden. And, and you say, well, what was Satan's sin? It was the sin of pride as Satan became so puffed up over his own beauty and magnific magnificence as, as this guardian cherub. And just as Satan fell, Herod too had a, a fall that was coming. And in the end, he, he forgot an important truth from Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before a fall, the fall. This past week, Steph and I, we went back with, with our older boys, with Luke and Levi and Titus, and we, we watched the first Marvel's Avengers movie uh, Monday night. Uh, the boys didn't have school Tuesday. And, and so there's so many good lines in that movie. Uh, but my favorite comes at the very end of Avengers where, where the battle has come to an end. Uh, the Avengers have wrecked shop. The, wor the alien wormhole is closed up. Uh, and there at the top of Stark Tower, the Hulk confronts Loki, uh, only, only to have Loki uh, yell out in, uh, in, in desperation. Uh, he yells at the Hulk and he says, enough. He says, enough. Uh, you are, all of you are beneath me. I, I am a God, you dull creature. And, and I will not be bullied. And about that time, the Hulk grabs him by both legs and just starts slamming him around like a rag doll. And he says one of my favorite lines in the movie. Uh, he, he looks over and Bruce Banner's character, the Hulk, says, puny God, puny God. Here's the application. Listen, I, I love you, but church, listen, if, if, you, if you can hear my voice, you are a puny little G God, Amen. You are a puny little G God. And the reason the pride that you sit in is so unstable is because you are contending for supremacy with the God. And you will lose that battle every time. There, there will be a, a fall. The question is, when you, when you fall, will you, will you look up and will you see the grace and the mercy and the glory of God, or will you, will you persist in that pride? Second thing this afternoon, as we look at verse 23, we're gonna look at the unshakable glory of God. We're gonna look at the unshakable glory of God. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, unshakable glory. All right, look at your other neighbor and say, unshakable glory. Awesome. Verse 23 says this. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. See, Josephus, even in Josephus' writings, he includes more detail. Josephus tells us that immediately upon receiving the praise of the crowd, severe stomach pains overcame Herod. And it was so bad, Josephus, again, not a Christian, not a believer, a Jewish historian, wrote that Herod had to literally be carried out of the amphitheater. Uh, he, he couldn't even walk in his own power. And he was in excruciating pain, and Josephus tells us that he died five days later. Wow. 
Another irony in this is that earlier in Luke 12, an angel had struck Peter on the side when he was trying to wake him up to rescue him. And here we see an angel of God who strikes Herod, but now he's been struck with the judgment of God. Different, so different historians have tried to guess, because that's really all we can do, uh, what, what went down with Herod. Some think that, that it was uh, his appendix that burst. Some say it was a cyst. Some say it was some type of tapeworm, roundworm. Others, I read a, co a couple commentators that thought it, maybe he was poisoned. Suffice it to say, Herod was judged for receiving a glory. In the Greek, it's this word doxa, for a glory that, and an honor that was reserved for God alone. And it's a sobering reminder. Listen, no matter what throne you ascend to in this lifetime, there is a throne that will sit higher than yours in the heavens, amen? There is a God who is over every human authority and ruler. And this, this passage is a reminder that even though Herod had the, the human authority and power to persecute and even to, to take physical life, it was, was the case of James, God was sovereign over this evil human ruler. And ultimately, he humbled him and brought him low for his sin of pride. And so here's the, here's the application, Christian. Here's the application in Restoration Church family. What a reminder for us. There is no space for glory hogs in the kingdom of God. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a glory hog. <laughs> There's no space for glory hogs in God's kingdom. Your, your pride will rob you of the glory that's due to God alone. Your job is to deflect that glory back to Jesus. Corey Ten Boom tells the story of seeing this famous Indian missionary, Sandhu, uh, Sadhu Sundar Singh, in Europe. After he had completed a tour around the world, she saw him in Europe. And after he had completed the tour, people asked him, uh, doesn't it, doesn't it uh, do harm, uh, you, you getting so much honor? And, and Sadhu's answer was, no, no, because the donkey went into Jerusalem and they put garments on the ground before him. And he, he was not proud, Sadhu said, because he knew it was not done to honor him, but for Jesus who was sitting on his back. When people honor me, I know it's not for me, but for the Lord who does the job. Church, if we could just get that picture ingrained in our minds and in our hearts. But listen, I, I'm, just, I'm just the donkey on which Christ is saddled, amen? I'm just the donkey on which Christ is saddled. See, as a student minister years ago, I, I used to tell the teenagers in our youth ministry, I used to tell them, hey, your job is to shine like the moon, not the sun. Because at the end of the day, you're just radiating and reflecting the glory of Christ. Isaiah 42, 8. The prophet Isaiah said this about God. He said, I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory I give to no other. And then it was Charles Spurgeon who said, whatever else we do, Spurgeon said, let us be sure that, uh, that our souls magnify the Lord and abhor the false idea of self-glorification. Let us shake off any idea of ascribing praise to ourselves. Church fam, listen. 
The way out of pride is worship. The way out of pride is, is wor to worship. To remove your pride, you've got to stop receiving the, the praise of men and you've got to start realigning your life to the glory of God, amen? Let me say that again. The way out of pride is worship. And to remove pride, you've got to stop receiving the praise of men and you've got to realign your life and your heart and your everything to the glory of God in Christ. Third thing this afternoon, as we look at verse 24, we see the unstoppable gospel of grace, amen? We see the unstoppable gospel of grace. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, unstoppable gospel. Look at your other neighbor and say, the unstoppable gospel. It says, but the word of God increased and it multiplied. See, Christian, what, what is your boast? What is, what is your boast? Galatians 6.14 says this, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which I've been crucified, the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. Our, our boast is in the cross. Our boast is in the message of the gospel. See, the pinnacle of God's glory is found in his grace, amen? That an all-powerful and, and an all-knowing sovereign God would, would pour out undeserved favor on a, on a people who, who had turned their backs on him in, in rebellion and in unbelief. And so, so if you wanna grow in your understanding of God's glory, grow in your understanding of God's grace. See, even, even in the midst of great hardship and persecution, it was this word of grace through the person in the work of Jesus that continued to, to grow and continue to, to change lives. See, verse 24 is yet another uh, sort of one of these acts like status reports. Like it's a, it's, a, it's a little update. It's a status of how the church was doing. And it says, the word of God increased and multiplied. Howard Marshall says this, despite the attacks of the church from out, the outside, the word of God continued to spread. And a hundred years later, check this out. The early church father, Jerome, would say this. The church of Christ has been founded by shedding its own blood, not, not that of others. By enduring outrage, not inflicting it. Persecutions have made it grow. Martyrdoms have crowned it, Jerome said. Man, this is, church, this is the effect of the gospel, amen? It's an unstoppable grace that, that stops people in their tracks. It's a, a God who, who meets people in their, in their brokenness. And he gives them undeserved favor and forgiveness. And from that, you, you get a church that lays down their lives for others who who like their savior who laid down his life for them. This past week, Steph and I, we, were, uh, we both listened to uh, our, our, there's a daily news podcast that I've, I've, I've mentioned before called The World and Everything in It. And, and uh, 
we were listening. We, we are huge fans of Shane Bernard and, and Bethany Bernard. It used to be Bethany Dillon. We love their music, love their heart for the gospel, for the church. But I was listening to the podcast, and there was an interview with, with Bethany Bernard. And in it, she, was, she, was, she opened up about her struggle with, uh, with clinical depression. She opened up with her struggle about, with, with OCD. And she talked about her struggle with going before God, essentially with like what, what, was a, what is a performance mindset. Right, like, like I, I, I have to, I have to be in the Bible and do my Bible reading plan every day, or God won't be pleased with me. Uh, I have to pray for all the people, and I have to do all the things, or else I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall short. And ultimately, she talked about how God had been bringing healing and growth that was rooted in His grace. Church fam. The unstoppable gospel of grace tells us that Jesus has already performed what you could not do, amen? The message of grace is not, it's not due, rather it's done, amen? The message of the gospel is that Jesus is your righteousness before the Father. The message of the gospel is that Jesus bore all of your sin on that cross. The message of the gospel is that when Jesus rose, he secured a victory that you had no shot of securing. Praise God. Praise God that the gospel of grace is unstoppable. And let me say this, to the, extent that, to, to the extent that the American church is in decline or or we're not seeing people respond to Jesus, it really just indicates one thing. We've stepped away from the biblical gospel. And we're pointing people back to human works. And we're pointing people back to self-righteousness. And we're pointing people back to man-made religion instead of the person in the work of Jesus. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this. He said, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably, immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore... Know yourself as nothing in comparison. You do not know God at all. And as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Now contrast our pride with the suffering servant, with Jesus. In Mark 10, 45, where it says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in Jesus, we find the embodiment of God. In Jesus, we see the very heart and the very character of God. <laughs> A God who, he didn't talk about loving you, but a God who moved towards you, laying down his life for you so that you might have life in him, amen? I don't know if y'all are hearing me today. Amen. It's the God that we serve. <laughs> and I wanna close with this. When Jesus was arrested, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call the worship team back up. I'm not sure where they are. They're, they're hiding. 
when Jesus was arrested, Peter pulled out his sword <coughs> and he cut off the, the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus at that point told Peter in Matthew 26, 53, do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? See, in those days, a, a Roman legion was about 6,000 troops. Church fam, <coughs> understand this. In one night, one angel of God took out 185,000 Assyrians. 185,000. Can you imagine what 72,000 angels would have done to those Roman soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes at the cross? Can you imagine what 72,000 angels would have done to those religious leaders hurling insults up at Jesus or, or the, the crowds jeering him on as he lay and hung and he bled and died for the sin, for their sin. See, any one of us would have called down the legions to wipe out our enemies. But Jesus died for his enemies. Jesus died for his enemies because he knew it was the only way. And at the cross, the pride of man met the glorious grace of God and God secured the victory for us, amen? And that, that is why God is worthy of all the glory. Amen, church? Y'all pray with me today.